Tonight, I want us to spend just a little bit of time talking about, well, the title is A Thing of Brass. Now, I had to be really careful. Last time I did a sermon that had some serpent on it, I had uh, somebody terribly upset with me. Uh, she said she couldn't hardly look at the screen because she didn't like snakes. So this is uh, about as benign as I could find for a picture of uh, this brazen serpent. But I want us to look at what I believe will be uh, some valuable lessons, maybe some things for us to consider. Being a Christian involves discernment. Uh, We need to, and what we've been talking about on Wednesday night through our summer series is discerning between what's good and what's better, uh, what's good and how to move from good to great. And uh, there are some things in the Bible that we must discern between. We need to discern between good and evil. Uh, Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14. We need to discern between what's good and what's better, as we already mentioned. And we also need to discern between what is of value and what is of greater value. And I, I want us to talk about that last point tonight, because there are some things that are more important than others. Jesus himself said so. In Matthew chapter 23 and verse 23, you remember he was condemning the Pharisees for their hypocrisy and all the things that they had done. And one of the things he said is, you tithe mint, you know, you tithe anise, you tithe uh, cumin, and you leave undone the weightier matters of the law. There are some things, he's not discounting tithing. That was important, that was what they should be doing But there were some things that they were leaving undone that were even more important than the things that they were doing. And I think that it's real easy for us to develop a misplaced focus in our lives. We can um, get involved in, well, and, and our allegiance can belong to things that it really ought not belong to. Things that are good. But uh, they're not the things that are utmost. And I want us to do that and look at this tonight by looking at two illustrations that I hope will help bring the point home, and then we're going to make practical application. So if you have your Bible, you might want to open, to begin with, to Numbers chapter 21. We're going to talk about the brazen serpent. In Numbers chapter 21, we're introduced to a time in Israel's history where they were wandering in the wilderness... And they became very dissatisfied. They were complaining. They were discouraged, disheartened. And they began to, well, they said, we hate it here. We had better back in Israel. At least we had food to eat. This food that God gives us here, man, I hate this stuff. I loathe this bread. Think about that. God was giving them that. He was providing, miraculously providing for them every day. And were it not for that, they would have been in dire straits. But God was good to them and made this manna fall down from heaven every morning. They'd go out and have something to sustain them. And and they can't say thank you. All they're saying is, ah, manna again? Come on. we got to have something better. Their ingratitude angered God. And God sent serpents among the camp, and the serpents would bite the people, and they were dying. Moses intercedes for the people and pleads to God 
to relent in his anger. And God hears the intercession of Moses and he says, all right, here's what I want you to do. I want you to fashion a a brazen, a brass serpent, and I want you to twist that around this pole. And I want you to put this pole up in the midst of the assembly. And whoever has been bitten, if they'll look to that pole, they'll be saved. They'll be healed. That pole had quite a bit of significance in the history of Israel. It stopped a terrible plague that they were facing. And if you were, um, well, I don't know what you'd liken it to if you were to liken it today. We have some pretty important relics in uh, the United States, our history. Um, Declaration of Independence, it's a pretty important document to us. We've got those things behind glass and in uh, uh, climate-controlled conditions uh, because we want to preserve those things. Have you ever asked yourself, whatever happened to these relics that God created? He had Moses create this pole that everybody would look to and they would be healed if they looked to it. And by the way, Jesus mentions that in John chapter 3 and says, because we might scratch our head And those Israelites might have scratched their head and say, what in the world? What's this all about? Raising up a pole, looking to it to get saved from uh, the snake bite? That's just weird. I don't get it. But Jesus said, ah, just, you remember that time back then? Just like when Moses raised up that serpent in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be raised up. And those that look to him today will also be saved. It, it It was a shadow of the substance Jesus who was to come. But they didn't see that at the time. But we, of course, having hindsight, see that and understand the reference that that Jesus made to it. But um, whatever became of that, we have this pole that has history, important place in Israel's history. Well, we read about that brazen serpent long after it had served its function and the, the people had looked to it, we find out in 2 Kings, the passage that Mike just read, 2 Kings chapter 18, we find out that it's still hanging around. They didn't just pitch it in the desert. They kept it with them because it had significance. It's just like an artifact or a relic from our past, how we would treasure those things. But King Hezekiah, is now king, he's a good king, and he decides, I'm bringing about some reform. I'm getting rid of the high places. The the king before me, they they let people in Israel worship these false gods. I'm tearing all these high places down. I'm tearing down the pillars and the, the altars that were erected to serve these false gods. And that brazen serpent that Moses made in the wilderness... I'm destroying that too. Why would you destroy a relic of your own past? Why would you take something that had a very special significance to the children of Israel? It it brought about their deliverance when they looked to it. Why would you tear it up, destroy it? Well, according to 2 Kings chapter 18, it's because the people had begun to worship it. They were burning incense to it. 
It had become an idol. What had significance was given too much significance. Um, And they called it a thing of brass. That's what Nehushtan means, a thing of brass. Think about the significance of this, though. You you see, you can go across the ocean, go to some um, Far East countries, and you'll see where men will walk by a rock every day or a stone or some statue. And they'll get down and they'll worship that. And we think, how can you worship a stone or a carving or some graven image? What would make you do that? That's what they were doing. This is just a thing. It's a thing of brass. Yeah, it had historical significance, but when you elevate the historical significance of that to the point where you're worshiping it rather than God, man, you have really lost focus here. And Hezekiah had enough of it. He said, I'm not even going to deal with it. Just destroy the thing. And they did. To elevate something that has a place, but to elevate it to an improper place, uh, they failed to discern between what had value and what had greater value. Um, That pole was not to be worshipped. It was just a vehicle to reconcile people to God, to bring people back to God. That's all it was. It was just a vehicle. It wasn't to be worshipped. All right, well, let's look at another incident in the history of Israel. In Exodus chapter 25... Instruction is given. Exodus is kind of tedious reading in some places because there's all this instruction about how everything is to be built concerning the tabernacle and the curtains and how many, you know, all this kind of thing. And part of that instruction involved the Ark of the Covenant. The Ark of the Covenant was an important relic in the history of Israel. I mean, it was about, it's smaller than, but it was about the size of the communion table here. It was overlaid in gold. It was made of wood. Inside of it, there were the Ten Commandments, a pot of manna. Um, and on top of it, there were two cherubim with their wings that covered the ark. And once a year, the high priest would go in and sprinkle blood on that, make atonement for the sins of the people of Israel. It, it was the meeting place with God. Uh, it was where he met the high priest, and met man um, on, on earth. It was a significant piece of furniture. It was, again, comparable to some pretty sacred relics that we might have in our history that's probably in the Smithsonian. They had the Ark of the Covenants. It uh, was a place where they received the forgiveness of their sins, there was, you know, that, that makes pretty significant, makes it pretty significant. Um, it, it contained, as I said, the, the Ten Commandments that Moses brought down out of the mountain. Um, how important, how special must those have been? So we have the Ark of the Covenant. It's a very significant piece of furniture in the history of Israel. But here's what happens in First Samuel chapter 4. Children of Israel were battling the Philistines again. And 
they lose. The Philistines kill several thousand Israelites, and they come back and say, man, man, what in the world's going on? We, they just whipped us. We got to do something. Um, let's see. Somebody get the Ark of the Covenant. We'll take that with us. And this time, we'll beat them because we have the Ark. And if you look, they said, it will save us. They lost that battle when they re-engaged. The Ark of the Covenant was stolen, taken from them, and they were defeated again. Their problem was that they had viewed the Ark of the Covenant, which had value, a very special place in the history of Israel. They had given it too much value. Listen, the Ark of the Covenant was a meeting place of God and man. But it was an object. It was a vehicle to bring man to God. It was not their Savior. They treated it like a good luck charm. Well, if we have this with us, nothing will happen to us. They, they, well, do people carry crosses today around their neck? Wear it, nothing will happen to me. People put little things, statues on their dashboard in their cars. I have this, nothing will happen to me. These items, though they have value, they're not our God, they're not our Savior. They bring us to God, our Savior. And so, a thing can have great value and significance, but we have to discern between what it is and what God intended and whether we place too much emphasis on it. Now, I use those two illustrations as backdrop. Now I'm going to get down to the application. Because I think that just like the children of Israel of old, they had this special pole. They worshipped it. It wasn't intended to be worshipped. They had the Ark of the Covenant. It will save us. It wasn't their Savior. God was their Savior. And then we come to the New Testament church, and we have our things that have value but we need to be careful to discern between giving them too much value. Can I give you some examples? How about the Bible? Listen, I love the Bible. I can sit down and talk about it all night long. I I love to study it. I love to engage in discussion about it. I love to learn from it. The Bible reveals to me what I need to do to be saved. Uh, Without it, we wouldn't know how to please the God who made us. We'd be lost. But as much as I love this book, this book is not my Savior. Jesus is my Savior. And because I have a stack of these in my house and I revere them and take good care of them and make sure that the pages never get turned funny and, and uh, you know, I have everything just so... That, that's not the purpose. This book is not to be worshipped. It's to bring us to the one who is to be worshipped. There was a man who had, um, well, every time he prayed, he would say this, and it just really disturbed me every time he prayed. Because he would pray when, when in, the, in the public assembly, he would get up and he would lead this prayer and he'd say, well, thank you for allowing us to come together here to worship your word. 
and he had reference to the Bible. We didn't come to worship the Word. We come to worship God. And God gave us this Word so that we can know who He is so that we can worship Him. I don't want to have a relationship to this book and not have a relationship to Jesus. There are plenty of colleges and schools that have academics that, that know this and teach it and study it, but it's just a subject to them, and they don't know God. We need to know God, not have just simply a relationship to this book. I hope you understand what I'm saying. I love the Bible, but it's not my Savior. It's not an end. It takes me to the end, which is God. Um, here's another one. Church attendance. Do I think church attendance is important? Absolutely I do. Hebrews 10 tells us not to forsake attending, that we need to come together and provoke one another to love and to good works. We need to be built up, and, and that's the purpose for the instruction. But church attendance is not the end all. Uh, every time... For years that we would do a new directory, a church directory, we would have uh, a couple show up to get their picture taken for the directory. You wouldn't see them again for another four years until we did another directory. They had to get their picture in the directory because that was proof that they belonged. Um, And so they would attend uh, to get their picture in the directory. As if what God's going to do someday is he's going to pick up our attendance sheets and say, now let me see here. How many times did he miss? That's not the measure of whether you're going to go to heaven or not. And a lot of people measure their faithfulness to God by how many times they attend. And you can't be faithful to God without attendance, but you can't just go to church and attend and think you have a relationship with God. Church attendance is not the end. God didn't say, listen, if I can just get these people to go to church, they've made it, they've arrived. The purpose for coming to church and worshiping and getting together is to bring us to the end, to get us, to help us, to encourage one another and to worship God who is the end. Don't rely on church attendance. Again, a person can come every time the doors are open And that doesn't mean they have a relationship with God. That doesn't mean they have a relationship with Jesus. What about this? Today we took the Lord's Supper. It's an important part of our worship. It is a time of communion. It's a time of fellowship with each other and with Jesus himself. It's a memorial of to remind us so that we can begin the week anew thinking about what Jesus did so that we can go to heaven the sacrifice that he made on our behalf and and how minuscule the sacrifice we give back to him in light of that. It, It should make it easier for us to live throughout the week. But have you ever known of anybody who elevated the Lord's Supper to a place higher than it belonged? As if it's more important than other items of worship. Years ago, there was a family who would come, they'd take the Lord's Supper, they had the Lord's Supper first, they took the Lord's Supper, and when I got up to preach, he and his wife would walk out. Now, it wasn't like they were going to work. I know people have to do that, and and that's not what I'm talking about. Where they went, 
was the local restaurant. Because when we'd get out of church, we'd be there, and they were sitting there finishing up their meal. They just wanted to beat the crowd. They didn't want to listen to me, you know. They, oh, well, who needs that? Let's just get the Lord's Supper and let's go. Um, they were committed to the Lord's Supper. Is that what it's about? Do this thing here, and that covers everything else. That, that, that makes it all better. Listen, the Lord's Supper is important, but it's no more important than singing or praying, giving thought to God's Word, meditating on God's Word. Um, but people have elevated it to a place. And I know sometimes people say, well, doesn't Acts 20 and 7 say upon the first day of the week they came together to break bread? So they came together to do that. So that tells you something about the importance of that act. Well, actually, that's metonymy. That's a part uh, put for the whole. Um, consider what else it said. They came together to break bread. So does that mean that the bread's more important than the fruit of the vine? Or do you think that's just a part put to represent the whole? They came together to worship. And, and that's what they did on the first day of the week. Don't raise the Lord's Supper to a place that it doesn't belong or it doesn't, uh, it, it shouldn't be. And then here's the last one I'll mention. How about baptism? When we talk to people, many times the end of our discussion is we got to get these people baptized. That's the goal of our discussion. We got to get them in the water. And we know every argument and we can parse this down and we can be convincing and we can convince them to be baptized, but I think that misses it. Is our goal to convince people to be baptized or is our goal to convince people to surrender their lives to the Lord? Because I know that we can convince people to be baptized and they have nothing, they know nothing about the commitment that follows. What, what do you mean? I, I, I thought I was just supposed to get baptized and everything's good now. If you convince people to make Jesus their Lord, they're going to be baptized because that's what he says. If you convince people to be baptized, they may do that, but they may not do other things the Lord asks. The goal is not baptism. That's not what we're trying to accomplish. I'm not trying to preach, and I don't want to preach um, baptism. I want to preach Jesus and, Jesus, and baptism is not an end, it is a means to the end who is Jesus. So here's what I wanted to do tonight. I wanted to give you some historical background where the people of God were guilty of elevating things to a point beyond their significance, due significance. And they suffered because of it. That, that relic that Moses built... I wish they wouldn't have worshipped it. Wouldn't that be neat if it were still around today? We'd go to some museum and see that's the thing that Moses built. It'll never happen because the people elevated it. They worshipped it, didn't realize its place. It was just a vehicle to bring people to God. They began to worship it, so Hezekiah said, destroy the thing. The Ark of the Covenant instead of realizing that it was just a place, a meeting place uh, between man and God and a vehicle to bring them closer to God and be reconciled to him, they, they treated it as a lucky charm. It will save us. It's not their Savior. God was their Savior. 
they misplace their trust, the significance in a box instead of the living God. We may be guilty of some of the same things. Like I said, Christianity requires discernment. What I'm trying to say tonight is you may read your Bible and you may be faithful in your attendance and you may always take the Lord's Supper and you may have been baptized. But those things are not ends in and of themselves. If they are, we're falling fall short. Uh, what, what, we, um, what we need to do is to make Jesus our end. You know why I read the Bible and I love this word? Because it points me to Jesus, my Savior. You know why I attend? Because that's what my Lord wants me to do, because it will strengthen me and I, it gives me an opportunity to worship Jesus. You know why I take the Lord's Supper? Not because it's more important than anything else, but because it is a reminder to me of what Jesus did for me. And you know why I'm baptized into Christ? Because Jesus, my Lord, said to reenact the gospel in that fashion. Let those things have their place. Let them have their significance. They are significant. But don't ever let them replace the premacy the preeminence of Jesus. If you're here tonight and you're not yet a child of God, what is it that you've allowed to get between you and him? It can even be religious things, not just sins. It can be things that are good, not just sinful things. If anything has come between you and God, get rid of it. It's nehushtan. It's just a thing. It means nothing. Jesus means everything. If you haven't yet been baptized into Christ for the forgiveness of your sins uh, so that you can become a child of God, we encourage you to make that step tonight. That's what uh, happened this morning, and we encourage you to do that tonight. If you're a child of God already but unfaithful, maybe you see some misaligned loyalties, and you need to get things back in kilter uh, We'll pray with you to that end if you'll come as we stand together and sing.